Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to a new episode of the World Cup case study brought to you by the One Touch Talks. This is your host Mayuresh Matkar and in today's episode we will be diving deep into the Brazilian squad. This is a big squad, a very good plethora of players at the disposal of their manager Chiche and we will also be taking a look at what's happened with the Cristiano Ronaldo situation as the interview has been released. The snippets of the re- interview have been released from Piers Morgan and we will be taking a look at what will happen and what will be the consequences of that interview. But we will be starting with another underdogs of this World Cup and we will be taking a look at Aliou Cisse's Senegalese national team who are determined to be one of the best African teams to ever play in a World Cup tournament. Since the last four or five years, it's been a meteoric rise for Senegal under the manager Aliou Cisse, a legend of the national team who played with the team in the World Cup in 2002. It has been a very good time for Aliou Cisse to be here for Senegal because of the talent that they have around the pitch. You can look at many players who have got the ability to play the play a very good game, a solid game for Senegal and I think they will be one of my dark horses going into the tournament. They have a very strong squad in terms of the talent that they have. They, they can't put on the pitch. They have got some really good individuals. I'm talking about Edouard Mendy, I'm talking about Idrissa Ganagay, I'm talking about Khalidi Koulibaly and the legend Sadio Mane. You know, they've got some very good underrated players as well like Pathesis who plays for Rayo Vallecano, the likes of Yusuf Sabali, who's been very, very good for Real Betis, Ismail Yassar, who's uh, been a very, very much a you know long warrior for Watford in the, in, in the years gone by. Some very, very good players around there for Senegal, and we'll talk about them. But for now, I think Senegal, in the group that they are with Netherlands, Ecuador and Qatar, I don't think they should be facing much problems in there. Yes, the game against Netherlands will be a bit of a a tester because it's going to be their first game. And I don't think that Netherlands themselves would be opening all their cards. I think Senegal can expect a bit of a a, a, a bit of a cautious game from uh, the likes of Netherlands. I think uh, the team that they have, Senegal, I think it's very much built around the one guy that we're going to talk about, the legend in African football right now, that is Sadio Mane. Uh, but we'll take a look at the team that they are going to field up at the World Cup in Qatar, the team that Aliou Cisse has uh, called, and we'll start with the goalkeepers. It's Sani Dieng from Queen's Park Rangers, it's Alfred Gomis from uh, Stade Rouen, uh, then there is uh, Edouard Mendy from Chelsea, we move on to defenders, and uh, there comes Fode Balotore from AC Milan. Then there is Ismail Jacobs from uh, Monaco. Then there is Pape Thies from uh, Olympiacos. These are the centre-backs. Uh, Balotore and uh, Ismail Jacobs with the left-backs. Uh, Abdou Diallo and Pathesis. Uh, one from Olympiacos, the other one from Leipzig. Other two centre-backs. Uh, then we go on to Khalidou Koulibaly, the captain from Chelsea. And Formos Monde from Omeon is the another centre-back who plays in League 2. Uh, then we go, there we have just one right back and that is Yusuf Sabali from Real Betis. We move on to the uh, midfielders and there is Pathesis who's had a very good season so far with Rayo Vallecano. Then there's Idrissa Ganagay who's made the move from PSG to Everton back again to the place that he knows very well. Uh, uh, then there is uh, Pape Gay from Olympic Marseille. Then there is Chico Cuyate again a very big veteran for the squad. 
from Nottingham Forest. There is Crepin Diata from Monaco. There is Nampalis Mendy, who's not played much for Leicester City this season. There is Mustafa Name from Pafos FC. There is uh, Pape Matarsar, who is playing for Tottenham Hotspur. You have never heard of him, uh, I, I presume so. Then we move on to the forwards, and there is uh, Famara Didiou from Alina Sport, and then there is uh, Bola Idea, who will probably start, who is from Salernitana. Made the move from Villarreal to Salernitana this season in, in this transfer window that's just gone by. Then there is Bamba Dieng from Olympique Marseille. There is Nicolas Jackson from Villarreal. Sadio Mane from Bayern Munich. Ili Mane Ndiaye from Sheffield United. And Ismail Assar from Watford. So, so there are experienced guys. There are very good youngsters in the squad. And then there is pedigree. There is a will to go far in the tournament and do well and make your nation proud. I don't think there is much pressure on Senegal. Obviously, there will be um, aspirations to win a World Cup. Obviously, there will be uh, a wish, a a fantasy to go and do make history and make the entire African continent proud of what they are. And I think Senegal, by far, are the better team in Africa. I think, as I said, they're better than Morocco, they're better than Ghana. Tunisia and the other one, I don't remember who they, who it is, but Tunisia and the others, uh, or even Cameroon, are not really as suited to play a game with much more control, much more, uh, much more energy, much more direction to what Senegal can. I think Senegal is a very much controlled unit. The manager, Aliou Cisse, again, a legend of the game back then for Senegal. And now he's managing, he's got the pedigree, he's got the equity to be there. And I think uh, Senegal might do very, very well under his tutelage. We move on to the strengths of this side. And yes, there are quality options in attack. Um, you talk about Idea, you talk about Ismail Yassar, you talk about Sadio Mane, uh, Nicholas Jackson, someone who has been very, very good for... Uh, Villarreal. He's not very good, but he's shown glimpses that he can be a very good game changer for Villarreal this season. Iliman Ndiaye, someone who you should be putting a very curious eye on because he's someone who started as a midfielder. Now he's applying his trade as a striker. He plays in a he, he plays in a front two for Sheffield United. He's been very very good for Sheffield United. I think. He will be the guy who will be replacing Sadio Mane for the start of the tournament because Mane is injured. And that brings me to the second point, and that is Sadio Mane is injured right now. And, well, this uh, this will be a proper weakness point, but now uh, we'll talk about the strengths first. Experienced players with a lot of pedigree, as I said. Uh, Koulibaly, Edouard Mendy, uh, players like Chico Kuyate, Idris Gay. Uh, Sadio Mane as well, for that matter of fact, or even Ismail Yassar, who's been there for a long time now with Senegal. These guys have had the experience that they require to thrive at a big tournament right now. If you look at Koulibaly and Mendy and Mane, who have done good things at the club level as well, so they have the mentality to handle pressure. So I think they will be very, very good this season in, in, in the World Cup. I think the ability to handle pressure is what a lot of African teams lack. The, the the personnel who will help them to understand what pressure situations are, I think that will really help Senegal do well in this tournament. Some other things that are very good for this team, and that is the midfield. I think players like Idris Ige, players like Pathé Sis, players like Nampalias Mendy, I think 
these players have got a lot of uh, talent in them. Uh, obviously, Chico Coyate is someone who is a very, very uh, veteran right now. Crepin Diata, if you want to play a back, uh, if you play, want to play a four-four-two, can play wider for midfield four and can do a very solid job for you. Uh, Pathesis this season has been very, very good for Rayo Vallecano. If you have been uh, uh, following his games, yes, he's been really, really good. Uh, you talk about some other names. I mean, uh, as I said, Idris Ganagay, you don't need to talk much about him because we all know how big of a name he is right now. Team, He is uh, one of those guys who is the... Is, is, is the veteran right now. Obviously, he's not that old, but... He's, uh, he's got a responsibility within him, and I think he'll do well for this tournament. I think the midfield, again, is a very important cog in this Senegalese national team, and they will have to deliver for their team to do well, because it's the engine room. that, that There's not much uh, of a uh, creativity in the midfield, but I think that will be... Um, that that would be overshadowed with the amount of work that these players can put in, I think, easily. Uh, the weaknesses, we move on to the weaknesses. There's injury at right back for Bonasar. And that does make me a bit worried because Yusuf Sabali, as good a player as he was at the start of the season, it's just tailed off. He can do a solid job for you. But, I mean, I, I have no reservations with Yusuf Sabali. I think he can very well do a solid job for you. That's That's not a problem, but... If there is suspension or there's something that he cannot play, then you're really stuck with it because then, I mean, it's anybody's guess what could happen because you don't have Bonasar who is a who's a bankable option at right back. He plays for Bayern Munich, plays a very um, very different role. I mean, he's, he's, he's the backup to Pava, now he's the backup to Pava and to Masrabi as well. He's injured, so he'll be back in January, so it's, it's, it's a big loss for Senegal. Let's be honest about that. Lack of quality options at left-back, I think that's another thing. You know, Salih Ussis has been very, very good for them over the years, but he's he's not have a club at the moment. Uh, Balotore, he's done very, very, very good. Got a goal as well in one of the big games that he played. He's filled up well for Teo Hernandez, but he's not having regular game time, and I think that is somewhere you would think that Senegal might just feel a bit restricted here. But apart from this, they do have uh, the option of playing Ismail Jacobs from Monaco, who's who's done a steady job for Monaco this season. He's not someone who'll get up and down regularly for you. He's a solid defensive option. Attacking-wise, I don't know how good he can be, but he can be a very good solid option at left-back. Or even someone like an Abdou Diallo, if you want to play left-back or right-back, he can do that. Plays for Leipzig now. He's a very good centre back. If you want to play him left back, right back, he can do it. I think that's something that you can have a tweak in there. But for now, I think left back, right back options. It, it, it's it's a bit it's a bit of a toss up. The next thing is that uh, the big players like Abdou Diallo and uh, not Abdou Diallo, but he's playing right now regularly. So Edouard Mendy and uh, Khalidou Koulibaly, and even someone like Anampalias Mendy who is such an important player for Senegal and probably will start in that number six role. These three players aren't getting the game time. I mean, Koulibaly was injured. He's just returned from injury. And the last game that he played was... I don't remember who it was. Uh, it was Newcastle, I guess, at the same James as Barco in the, in the Premier League. And he didn't play well. I think, he again, Almiron did him for that goal 
where Newcastle scored. And I think, again, Koulibaly is... He is their centre-back for them. He's the face of that team. He's the captain of the Senegalese national team. Obviously, uh, you expect big things from him, but he's, he was injured. He's just now come back from injury, and I think he'll have to show up. It's, it's not a... It's, it's, there are no two ways about that. He is the captain. He's got to be delivering for this national team, albeit he was injured. I do have sympathy for him there, but for Senegal to do well, you have to say Koulibaly needs to step up because the season hasn't been that good for him. We'll, we'll see what happens with Koulibaly, but this is a this will be a huge factor in what, how and how Senegal play in this tournament. The other one is Edouard Mendy, and he's getting a few games here and there. He played against Arsenal, he played against Newcastle, and I think he played the game before Arsenal as well. But you have a feeling that Grant Potter does feel that he's much more secured uh, with the goalkeeping position with someone like a... Uh, Kepa Aritha Balag. And I don't fault him for saying that, for doing that, because I think Kepa has got better qualities with, uh, with, with the ball at his feet. Obviously, Edouard Mendy, as an all round goalkeeper, is better than Kepa. And he's proven that he's better. He's not just won a Champions League uh, by fluke, but he, he, he is a good goalkeeper. He's made some very good saves over the last two years for Chelsea, and I think he deserves some respect for it. But right now, he's just got two games under his belt, or three at best. We'll have to see how, how both these players do. And Nampalius Mendy, he has not started a game yet for Leicester City. He's just started that one Carabao Cup game. He was decent in that game. But, well, it's, it's, it's going to be a bit of a toss-up for me because he is their guy who plays in that number six role. He's very good with the ball at his feet as well. I just don't know how they can replace someone like an Nampalius Mendy or if they would have to put him out of the team and play a very good, robust midfield three, which can work their rear side off and do well for Senegal. I just think right now, Nampalius Mendy, again, is a big factor. He's not going to be uh, regularly playing 90 minutes for Senegal. I do believe so, because he's, he's not been playing 90 minutes. He was injured at the start of the season. The season as a whole hasn't been good for Leicester City, but... I just think right now it's not the right thing to give uh, someone like a Nampalis Mendy the starting nod. We move on to the probable starting eleven for Senegal and I think Edouard Mendy will be in goal. Um, I see Ismail Jacobs playing at left-back over for the Balotore. I mean, again, you, you can have a toss-up there, but I just think right now Ismail Jacobs will be the guy who I would start at left-back. Koulibaly and Abdou Diallo will be the two players who would start in that in, in, in the two centre back roles. By the way, it is a 4-3-3, a conventional 4-3-3 for me at the moment. So Koulibaly and Abdou Diallo will start for me as my uh, two centre backs. Uh, Yusuf Sabali, I think you have got no options but Yusuf Sabali there. I think Bonasar would have given this team another dimension, but right now Yusuf Sabali would be the guy who I would play at right back. Um, obviously, I think you need to bank on him. And I think he's a good player. Just the thing is that his form has dipped or maybe he was just overperforming at the start of the season. I think he performed really well for Real Betis at the start of the season and just the form has just tailed a bit. Uh, I won't really uh, blame him for that. So, yeah, he will start at right-back for me. So, Mendy in goal, uh, Ismail Jacobs at left-back, Sabali at right-back and Koulibaly and Diallo will be on my two centre-backs. Moving into the midfield, and there are some options now for 
Aliusise to choose from. Idrissa Ganage, he he's a he's a fix. He's gonna start, and probably so is Chico Koyate. But in my opinion, what if they start Idrissa Ganage, Pathesis, and Nampalius Mendy? I, I, with, with the amount of Pathesis that I've seen this season with Rayo Vallecano, Rayo Vallecano, obviously one of the teams that I, I, I dearly love. I mean, if you don't watch Rayo Vallecano, I recommend you to really watch a lot of Rayo Vallecano because they are a fabulous team. They're a very fearless side and I, I really like them. But for now, I think... Pathesis, because of the evidence that he's shown in uh, in, in in the colours of uh, Rayo Vallecano, he should be starting. I don't think he will be, but I think it will be Kuyate and Idris Eganage with Nampalius Mendy. But if it was to me, I would have started Idris Eganage and I would have started Pathesis as well. Because of the things... I mean, Pathesis has been very, very good for Senegal this season. and uh, Not for Senegal, but for Rayo Vallecano. And he, he clearly should be starting. Uh, I just don't know how to put this, but he, he has been that good. He, he really has been. Um, someone like a Crependiata can also be moved into a midfield three and we'll see what what could happen then. But for now, I think it's going to be Idris Iganagay, Nampalias Mendy and Chico Kuyate. I, I really think someone like a Chico Kuyate off the bench with uh, the veteran that he is, or probably you would start Chikakuyate. I think that's that's the sane thing to do right now. That's the uh, most intelligent thing to do right now. And maybe Pathesis, Ganage and Kuyate, these three can start because of the lack of game time that Nampalias Mendy is having. Uh, we move into the uh, we move into the front three, and then we then for the starting game, I will have Iliman Indiaye on the left. I'll have Bulai Dia through the middle. Bulai Dia, by the way, is having a very good season at Salernitana. I just thought that he did not deserve, did not get the amount of game time that was required for him to showcase his entire talent or his entire skill set at Villarreal. I am happy that he's moved into Salernitana and he's getting the game time that he uh, that he richly deserves. I think uh, he's got what six goals in, uh, in 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 the Serie A this season. I think that's enough for him to start as the centre forward for Senegal this uh, in, in in this campaign. So Iliman and Di on the left. Then there is Bulaidia and someone who has been a warrior for ages now at Watford. Ismail Yassar is going to start as my right-footed forward. Obviously, you can uh, play Krepin Diata instead of Ismail Yassar, and I think that is going to be the way. Ismail Yassar is again one of one of my favorite players who plays for Watford, and it has been it it has been a very good experience covering him for Senegal because he's someone who again bears a lot of the. Uh, there's, there's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and I really like him. So, yeah, Ismail Assar from the right, Bull Idea through the middle, and obviously you've got Iliman and Di. So, my 11 for them to start in that first game for Netherlands obviously, it's Edouard Mendy in goal, um, Ismail Jacobs at left back, Kulibali, Abdou Diallo as my two centre backs, and Yusuf Sabali as my right back. You move into the midfield, and I'm choosing Idrissa Ganagay, Chikukuyate, and Pathesis. If we move into the front line, it's going to be Iliman Ndiaye, Bulaidia, and Ismail Yassar. Now we move into someone who is a legend. He's not just a Senegalese legend, but he's a Liverpool legend as well. You, we're talking about Sadio Mane. And there are very little things that you could talk about Sadio Mane that someone cannot like. I mean, as good a footballer as he is, I like him as a footballer. Obviously, he's been. I, I've been covering Liverpool for the for the for the past five years, 
and I've seen Sadio Mane closely, and he, he's he's a fabulous player, and he is this team's poster boy. And talk about Koulibaly, talk about Ganage or Chico Coyate. He is the poster boy of this team. He is not the captain, yes, but he is ready to put the weight of the entire nation on his shoulders. And I and, and that is something that really gets me because it's it's on the same level as we are talking about Lionel Messi or even Neymar at at Brazil or even someone like a Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal but Sadio Mane it's it's not a burden on him it is an enjoyment it is a privilege to carry the burden of the entire nation on his shoulders and it's been such an incredible journey for him uh, from moving on to without saying anything to his family, moved into France and then made a move to Salzburg. And again, for, for, for all the things, I mean, I, I li- obviously I like him as a player, but much more than that, I admire him as a person. I think there's a lot to love about what Sadio Mane is as a human being. I think that's something that really touches me with the African background that he has. Obviously, it it, it is a huge thing that comes to me but obviously um, Sadio Mane as, as a person with the, what, what he's done in his own village he's built uh, he's, he's built again what four or five hospitals and stuff like that and it, it really is I mean if you look at him when he goes to Senegal and all the people who are lining up there to take his photos I mean he's so humble he obviously does not go away um, thinking that it should be a privilege to get my photo. No, he's all, always going with everyone and uh, clicking photographs. I mean, some somebody like an Angolo Kante, you can relate him and Angolo Kante as well. Angolo Kante, obviously much more soft-spoken, but yes, uh, Sadio Mane as a person, as a human being, I really like him. I I, I can't say enough of him, but this this it, it has been a privilege to... Uh, see this guy taking his country on his shoulders. I mean, he did that for two AFCON campaigns. He got them to two AFCON finals. That's incredible. That's immense. And the amount of goals that he scored. Obviously, I, I, obviously, I think that he's not played much that he, he would have liked. I mean, he's 30 years of age right now. He could have had... He, I mean, if you look at him and the legend that he is, he should have had around, what, 50, 60, 70 caps for his... He's just had well, 50, 60, 70 caps for his country, but he should have actually would have had 100, 111 caps for his country. It would have been a big legend for his uh, for, 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 the, for the national team. And not just for the national team. I mean, obviously, as I said before, he's a Liverpool legend as well. And you cannot talk much about what he's done for Liverpool. I mean... Um, he still loves Liverpool. I mean that 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 is something that you're never going to take it take away from him. And the fans at Liverpool they still love him because of all the things that happened with Sadio Mane and something that he is. I mean, you you could never talk. You, you could take any Liverpool fan and say to him, "What does Sadio Mane mean to you?" And he is he he is a legend to them. I mean, so is Salah. So is people like. Henderson and James Milner and Trent Alexander-Arnold or Robertson or Van Dijk. But Sadio Mane, even when he's not at the club, the fans adore him. The fans love him. The fans respect him for what he is. And we, we talk about a lot of players who left the clubs that they were in, the clubs that gave them so much. 
they left them with a very sour note. I mean, you could talk about Cristiano Ronaldo in this aspect as well, or even you can talk about someone like a Thibaut Courtois. I mean, that's something that really bugs me about Courtois. But apart from it, I mean, if you look at Sadio Mane, he left the club at such good terms. Now he's playing for Bayern Munich. Obviously, he's got some uh, frailties in his game. He's got some weak points of his own game. But that doesn't mean that he's not a good human being. He's such an incredible human being. I, I cannot t- talk much about him. He's a legend of the. He's he's a legend of Liverpool. He's a legend of the entire African continent. Of the numerous other players who've played football for this continent from from my uh, from from my time when I started watching football. The likes of Didier Drogba, Samuel Eto'o, everyone like. He he's up there. He he he's right up there. Even like someone like an Ali he's he, he's a legend of Senegal, and so is Sadio Mane. And that for that, I really respect him a lot. He 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 is one of the best players who is going to carry the weight of their shoulders at this coming World Cup. So we talk about the possible route to the uh, uh, to the knockouts, and uh, I don't care whoever they face in this round of sixteen. They are going to beat them. I I don't see them uh, flapping uh, or fumbling against either Wales, USA or Iran or even for that matter of fact England. England is a house on fire right now and if they come up against Senegal and just and the one thing that really is uh, um, it's concerning me is the injury of Sadio Mane. He has been taken care of and they say that he won't be available to play the first game against Netherlands. But he might be available to play against Ecuador and I think the next game is against Qatar. So maybe you can ease him into that game against Qatar. Maybe play four or five, maybe play 10 or 12 minutes and then play him against Ecuador and see what happens. And then for the round of 16, you can take him. Obviously, you know, taking him was not, not taking him was not an option. You know, you can't really uh, not take Sadio Mane in a Senegalese team. I mean, I don't care if it was 26, 23 or even 20. I would have taken Sadio Mane. So, yes, I, th- I think they will beat the likes of anyone from Group B. I, I, I bang them on beating them. Obviously, the game against England would be a bit tight. But I just think with the amount of emotion that's been attached to Senegal, I think Senegal will pull through and they will go through the next round. In the round of 16, maybe they'll play Denmark or maybe... I strongly believe that they're going to play Denmark or it would be someone between Mexico, Poland or France. I think there's going to be four teams that will be facing that. I believe Denmark will finish first in their group, so they will be playing the second one in the Argentinian group. So Argentina will obviously finish first. They have to finish first. Mexico, Poland against Denmark. I think Denmark will beat them. Senegal against Denmark, two dark horses up against each other in the quarterfinals. That's what I predict, and I think that will be a very interesting game to look at. It's a cost of a toy, and you can, you can say Senegal or Denmark as you wish. But I think right now, I see them going to the quarterfinals, and after that, it's anybody's guess. And I think that's a huge chance now for Senegal to be the first African team to ever play in the World Cup semifinals. That could be a chance. For that, you'll have to play well. For that to play well, the veterans have to do well, the young players have to do well, and I believe they will do well. And Aliusis, under the uh, veteranship of players like Koulibaly, Ganagay, Sadio Mane, some very good players that they have, like Pathesis and Ismail Yassar, they will pull up, and I think they will go far in the tournament. I really do. 
The odds on favourites for this World Cup, Brazil, it's a marvellous squad. It's a squad that is really, really big. It's full of quality. I mean, I can talk anything about this, but it's just been incredible, the amount of players that this country produces year after year after year. It's incredible what this entire team could look like when they move on to the pitch, but it is going to be a treat to watch again with Brazil under their manager Chiche, who is probably the best manager at the international level for me. I mean, obviously he's had his own critics. He's uh, really, he, he was really sad about losing the Copa America final and I thought they should have at least scored a goal. I mean, I don't know about winning, but at least they should have drawn that game because they had so many chances. They couldn't capitalize on that. But, you know, we move on. Brazil has to move on from that. It is going to be it is going to be the end of an era for some of the players that Brazil has. It's going to be the end of an era for the manager Chiche because he's going to leave the team after this tournament is done. You can talk about players like Thiago Silva, like Dani Alves, like Neymar, who are going to probably play the last World Cup. Players like Casemiro, maybe. I think Casemiro certainly has got another World Cup left in him, but I just don't think this, that, that will be the time where he will be applying his stardust around everything. But yes, you know, Casemiro, maybe, you know, Dani Alves, Thiago Silva, Neymar, he said that he's not going to play after this. So lo lots of things to digest around with uh, Brazil uh, in this podcast and we'll go one by one to its strengths, weaknesses. We'll talk about Neymar for a bit as well but for that we will be first uh, moving into the players that they have called up for this uh, for this for this meeting and we move into the first bit of uh, things that is the goalkeepers and the goalkeepers are Alisson from Liverpool, Edison from Man City and Viverton from uh, Palmeiras. Then we move on to the defenders and we'll first talk about the right backs and it's Dani Alves from Pumas in Liga Mekis in Mexico. Uh, then there is Danilo at Juventus. We move on to the left-backs. It's Alexandro from Juventus and Alex Tejas from Sevilla. Uh, the centre-backs. Now, there are four that have been called up. And it's Marquinhos from PSG. It's uh, Thiago Silva from Chelsea. It's uh, Eder Militao from Real Madrid. And there is uh, uh, Gleison Bremer from uh, Juventus who just made a move from Torino to Juventus. So we move on to the midfielders and we have Bruno Guimaraes, who has been incredible for Newcastle United. We've got Casemiro and Fred from Manchester United. We've got Everton Ribeiro from Flamengo. We've got Fabinho from Liverpool and we've got Lucas Paqueta from West Ham United. Now we move on to the forwards and there are a plethora of players that you can talk about. We talk about Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo from Real Madrid. We have got Richarlison from Tottenham. There is Pedro from Flamengo. Then there is Rafinha from Barcelona. There is Neymar from Paris Saint-Germain. Then there is Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli from Arsenal. There is Anthony from Manchester United. So many forwards to choose from and they're all, all brimming with quality and just incredible. I mean, they have left out Firmino from the squad. They have left out Roger Ibanez, who was uh, who was playing for them in the last international break. A lot of players who have been left out. Even Renan Lodi as well, someone who's played a few games with the Brazilian national team. 
So a lot of players who have left is um, who have been left out of this national side. Someone who I thought would have been left out is Lucas Paqueta because he was injured playing for West Ham. He's come back from injury just, and I expect him to play a big role in this uh, in this tournament because, in my opinion, he will be starting. Some players like Neymar will again carry the weight of his shoulders, but he's not really the face of this uh, of this entire team, or he's not the hero. There are a lot of players who can obviously play alongside Neymar and obviously can have the same amount of uh, productivity that Neymar can give. Um, we take a look at the strengths of this side and, I mean, obviously probably one of the most stacked squads around the world alongside France and yes, it is. I mean, apart from the fullback position, I think you can call... I mean, they have got two world-class goalkeepers, Ederson and Alisson, and... Well, it's it's very difficult to really choose one ahead of the other, but for now, I think Allison's better. But Edison, obviously, is is just incredible. He he is fabulous, Edison, isn't he? Um, they could blitz past any opponent and could very well make a deep run in the tournament. I mean, this squad is made for a deep run in the tournament. What a squad this is! I mean, you can talk about a lot of players who have been. Um, obviously, this is this is this is going to be incredible. The way the squad has been built, or the amount of players that uh, the academies in Brazil produce, obviously they'll always have one of the most stacked squads in the in in the tournament. And again, any team that they can play, they can they can just blitz past them. It's it's not even a question. With the amount of talent that they have around, they are going to really be very much very much a threat to any other team in the tournament. Not to rely on a particular individual, and that is point number three. And we saw in 2014, Neymar was not there, Thiago Silva was not there, they get beaten 7-1 by Germany. Then again in 2018, they get beaten against a solid side. They were too reliant on individual brilliances. But now it's not the case. It's, it's, it's very much a team game with... Uh, with Brazil, and I think uh, they will do well. I think there's not much reliance on Neymar. There's not much reliance on the back line or even Alisson to make saves that he, as he does at Liverpool. It's going to be very good. It's going to be very interesting to see how this team pans out or how the entire group just gels together for Brazil going into this tournament. Um, obviously, we'll have to tell, talk about their coach, and that's, that's the best coach in the international circuit, according to me. Uh, He's a very good tactician. He's got the experience of playing with these players, of, of managing these players, and obviously knows about all about the pressure of handling this national team because it's a heavy jersey. You are you have to be very much privileged to play for this Brazilian national team. I mean, it's 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 much of a privilege than uh, it's it's an honor. It's not something that you get so very easily. You have to earn it. There are a lot of players ahead of you, and obviously it's it's, it's a big thing to play for Brazil. Um, again, another point that we're going to talk about is the amount of players that they have in the attack and the midfield. There's a lot of players that they can use from. There's a lot of talent that they can put on the field. Again, Everton Ribeiro, who's been immense for Flamengo this season in the, uh, in the Copa Libertadores as well. So... A lot of things that have happened for this national team has been on the positive sides, even uh, with the amount of 
forwards that have got to bigger clubs in Europe. Obviously, this is this is one of the best stacked squads as well, and obviously you're going to get a lot of quality in terms of um, players going forward, and also the midfielders that they're in the squad. Um, we move on to the weaknesses, and the fullback area is a big bit of a concern. I think left back area is a bit of a concern. I think right back, obviously, it's going to be Danilo, and Danilo in particular does not get the amount of recognition that he deserves. I think he's one of the best right backs right now in in, in Serie A. He, he's obviously not good going forward, but he can play midfield as well. He's a very good bankable right back if you want to play back three. He can do that as well. can play centre-back if required. He's a very good option to play right back and obviously a better option than Dani Alves at the moment. And I think he'll do well. He, he, he has to do well. He's not the best going forward, but he's good defensively. He's, he's terrific defensively. And I think people don't give him the recognition that he deserves. And he's been one of the most consistent players for Juventus. In the past three seasons, and I'm and I'm including this season as well, he he really has been one of the most consistent ones to play a right back in Europe, and many people won't really know about this, but he he really has been one of the best right backs. But if you talk about left back, there is Alex Tejas, Alexandro, Renan Lodi. Renan Lodi is not going to be there uh, for Brazil this uh, in in the in the World Cup. He's made the move from. Atletico Madrid to uh, Nottingham Forest. Not for him this time around, but Alex Tellez, obviously a lot of emotion attached to him. His, his girlfriend or his partner is pregnant with a baby. Uh, congratulations to that. But yes, you know, big, big thing for him. He's going to be going to the World Cup with Brazil. Obviously, they don't have many choices there, but it's, it's again, it shows the emotion that was around there. It was recordings and... Uh, Yes, it's 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 a big privilege. I think it's it's it is a bit of a task then for that left back position. Obviously, they can play Danilo at left back, uh, play two centre backs, and then obviously have uh, Dani Alves playing at right back. And that could be a bit of a problem in the end. Uh, I think Tejas would play at left back, or even someone like an Alexander who can do well uh, at left back. It's a very again very solid option. Obviously, hasn't lived up to the expectations that were. Uh, lent on him around in 2017, five years ahead of uh, uh, five years fast forward. And we're not at the stage that we would say Alexander has lived up to the expectations. Obviously, he's got his own limitations, or probably he wasn't really a good player or, or, or the player that we expected. He was just put, punching above his weight. But under his own limitations, I think he's a very good player. I think for now, Alex Tejas will start. Uh, another weakness for for me is uh, that the lack of preparation against the better sides. And this was my issue with Argentina as well. And some people don't agree to me, but I think that is going to be a major factor. Not just for Argentina, but even for Brazil. Because as good as this team is, the collective against a better opposition is going to be a bit different. I don't think they will have the amount of position that they have against uh, a team like you know, anyone like Bolivia or Peru or Ecuador or Venezuela. They're going to have that amount of position against teams like Netherlands or even Germany or Spain if they play them in in the knockouts. I think that is going to be a bit of a problem. If you look at their 2014 campaign and even the 2018 campaign, I think 2014 they played Cameroon, they played Croatia and they played Mexico, if I'm right, in the uh, in, in in the group stages. And uh, they 
to play just Croatia as a European side who were not that good in 2014. Then we move into the uh, knockouts in 2014. I think they played Chile and Colombia and they beat those two. And the third team, when they played Germany, it was a car crash. We all know how that ended and we don't want to get deep into that. It's a sorry story. In the end, you know, they lost it. Move into 2018 and a better squad again from 2014 then. You had, what, Serbia, Switzerland and Costa Rica, if I'm right, in the group stage. And they struggled against Switzerland in their first game. Switzerland, again, a very solid outfit, even back then, back and even now. Um, Serbia, not the Serbia that we are going to see this World Cup. There's a lot of older players in that team. There was Mitrovic still playing. Tadic was there, but that was Tadic from Southampton. I think they also had Nemanja Matic in that side. So a lot of uh, a lot of veterans in that squad. A lot of players who were not in good form. Not a good Serbia side. They also beat Costa Rica in that World Cup. They beat Mexico in the round of 16. And when they played a team which on paper was much more inferior to Brazil. And two managers in which the Brazilian manager Chiche was better than Roberto Martinez... The team Brazil came up short against Belgium because of the lack of preparation against the better sides. Again, I think that's going to be the case even now this uh, in this World Cup. And that's the reason why I don't think they can win. Obviously, they can win it because of the team's, team that they have. But it's going to be very, very difficult. And for now, I just think that it's going to be a bit of a toss-up for me to see how they finish in the group and how they play against Serbia and Switzerland. I think that could really test them up for the group for, for the knockouts because obviously they're going to be in the knockouts. They, they're not going to be uh, going going out of the group stage. I mean, if they go out of the group stage, it's going to be a tragedy. It, it really is going to be one. And uh, for that, I think... As much as people think that they will finish first, I still think there is a possibility that they draw against that they draw against Switzerland. I think there's a huge possibility that that it happens. But again, is Switzerland that trustworthy that they can beat the other two? I think not. And I think because of that, I think Brazil will be uh, topping this group and going into the tournament knockouts as the favourites. I think that will be the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a concern there with the lack of preparation playing against the better sides. We now move into the possible starting eleven for Brazil. And I think there's not much difference in what I think and what Tite would uh, put on the pitch. So Alisson will play as my goalkeeper. Marquinhos and Thiago Silva will play as my two centre-backs. Danilo at right-back and then Alex Tejas at left-back. I, I just think that this will be the team which uh, comes into... Uh, that game against Switzerland on match day one. In the midfield, it is going to be Casemiro who's going to play. And uh, along with him, it, I think it's going to be Lucas Paqueta. Um, obviously, he's used a fair bit of uh, Fred as well. But I just don't think he'll use two defensive midfielders. Like I mean, Casemiro's going to be there. And then if he uses two defensive midfielders, it's going to be a coin toss between Bruno Guimaraes and uh, Fabinho. I, for now, think it's going to be Lucas Paqueta alongside uh, Casemiro. In the front four, I'm going with Neymar as the guy sitting right behind the striker. Vinicius on the left and Rafinha on the right because he's chosen that those two players to play. 
Obviously, Rafinha gives you a lot of work rate, and that is required. Vinicius will be a cheat code player, and Richarlison, who's done very well for Brazil this season. Uh, not, not for Brazil, but he's done very well for Brazil lately, whenever he's been called up, and he's earned that number nine role. Obviously, you can talk about Pedro, who's been just tearing it up in the Copa Libertadores. So he can be an option there, but I think Richarlison will play. Gabriel Jesus has been really good for Arsenal. He's been a very pivotal part in getting Arsenal at the top of the table in the Premier League. But for now, I just think Richarlison will start. Gabriel Martinelli, something I think right now is the recent form. Martinelli has been better than Vinicius. But I think, again, Vinicius will start just because of uh, what he's done for the last 15 months. I think he has to start. There's, there's no two ways about that. So that will be my starting eleven: Alisson, Marquinhos and Thiago Silva, Danilo, Alex Tellez. And that will be my back line along with the goalkeeper. Uh, Casemiro and Lucas Paqueta in that midfield too. And then there's a front four of Vinicius on the left, Neymar through the middle as a 10 and Rafinha as my right winger and up top will be Richarlison leading the line. Stop probably is not the uh, best number nines to lead it, but I think that will be the way to go for Brazil this tournament. What do I think about Neymar now? And Neymar has said publicly that this will be his final World Cup. I just don't think this will be his final tournament with Brazil. Or maybe it could be. I mean, the amount of talent that they have Obviously, they can have a lot of players to take Neymar's place. Obviously, there's Rodrigo who can be the deputy to Neymar and he's shown this season at Real Madrid that he can be influential playing as a player behind the striker as well or can also play as a number, number nine if required. So, uh, yes, there is, there is a possibility of that happening. Before now, I think, uh, yes, Neymar could, could work. Vinicius could work and Rafinha could work behind Richarlison and that's going to be there. But Neymar, again, we're drifting away from the topic and Neymar, it's, it's again a huge pressure thing you know, playing, for, playing for Brazil. It's going to be all those, you know, the, the color, it's, it's a colourful nation, it's, it's an enjoyable nation. I mean, I can still remember being a 12-year-old or, or not, a 14-year-old boy and really understanding football, watching the World Cup in Brazil. I mean, that was a very incredible experience. I mean, Argentina's run to the final, that 7-1 scoreline. I mean, that was crazy. Um, I think the Uruguay-Ghana thing also happened back then, or was it in 20... Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, that happened in 2010. Oh, no. Uh, but yeah, all those other things. James Rodriguez, I mean, being world-class in that tournament and then completely tailing off for Real Madrid... I mean, a lot of things happened for them in that, and, and the big thing that happened in that tournament was the injury to Neymar. And it had huge consequences after that. But again, Neymar is so influential for this team. He's got that. Again, you know, he, he's going to be carrying this nation on his shoulders in terms of the poster boy. He is the poster boy. He might not be the most important player right now, but he is the poster boy for Brazil. And... Obviously, if you talk about the Brazilian Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Kaká, players who I watched up growing up, and players uh, uh, like uh, Pelé, players like uh, e e even someone like, I mean, I'm, I'm not really uh, getting the name in, in the back of my mind, but yeah, you know, so many incredible players have been from Brazil, and 
it would be just fair that Neymar has a World Cup trophy to show as well because he's been incredible for Brazil and Pelé and, Marad- and Maradona and Messi and Brazilian Ronaldo, all these other guys have just been incredible and they've been remembered for the Ballon d'Ors or even the World Cups that they won. I think Neymar also deserves it from the place that he comes. I think the World Cup is a big thing and I think they will be a huge, huge expectation around Neymar and I think this will be the best way to bow out of uh, a, a a possible career that's really been filled with ups and downs. Before now, I think uh, Neymar is in a better position and I think he'll do well. A possible route to the knockouts. Uh, it's it's going to be a bit of a toss-up between Uruguay and Portugal. I think if it's Portugal, Brazil will go through. There's just no doubt about that. I think um, if, if it's Portugal, Brazil will go through. If it's Uruguay, I think there is room for an upset because, well, I mean... I mean, I can see if, if, if it's Uruguay against Brazil, it's a team that Brazil have played a lot. It's a team Uruguay have played a lot. So maybe it's a team, maybe it's a day that Federico Valverde shows, showcases his entire talent to the world. Darwin Nunez comes up stage. I mean, there's a lot of things about Uruguay that can hurt you if you're Brazil. I think if it's Portugal, if it's it's it's, it's a bit more easy because Portugal with Ronaldo's things, it's just um, it's it's a bad place right now. But for now, I think yes, you know Brazil, it it could be the team, it it really could be the team to beat. And I just think it is it it it, it could be getting much uglier. I think if they if if they play Portugal, they will go through. And more probably they will play Germany. I think if they play Germany, it could get tricky. Not because of the history, but because of the team combinations. It could get a bit tricky. If they play Spain, I back them to beat Spain. Obviously, I've got a bone to pick with Spain, obviously, with some of my players that I wanted to be in the squad, uh, like Bryce Mendes, like uh, Sergio Ramos, like all the other guys. I mean, Nacho deserved a shout over Eric Garcia and Hugo Guillamon. I don't know what Spain do with it, but... Yes, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like that Spain squad and I just don't think they'll beat Brazil uh, in this tournament. I think if it's Spain, I think they'll beat them. Then in the semi-finals, maybe it's going to be Argentina. I just I highly, I highly doubt that. Or maybe it's going to be Netherlands. Netherlands, it's going to be a huge game. It's going to be a very tricky fixture. Um, again, you know, the, uh, uh, the heat and the playing conditions in Qatar are going to be very, very different i mean it's it's going to play a factor here but for now i think brazil odds on favorites given their manager given the uh plethora of players that they have at their disposal and the sheer form i think they have it's it's a crazy form i think they have just lot was what six game what two games in six years it's it's crazy the two games that they have lost were against belgium and and against argentina the copa america final the two big finals that they've lost uh, the quarterfinals and the final in the Copa America. So I think it's it's incredible. It, it really is. I think since that Copa America, I think I think yeah, since the Copa America uh, with Chile won in 2016, th- th- those are the only two losses that I can think of in a competitive game that Brazil have fa- that Brazil have to endure. That's a huge huge plus to them, and I just think it's it's going to be a very watchful tournament for Brazil, and I think there's a team to watch out. And that is Brazil for me.
So I just want to touch upon Cristiano Ronaldo and the situation that's happened just uh, hours before I was recording this Brazilian Senegal podcast. And this has been really pissing me off and it's been pissing me off for two months now. I've had enough of uh, the disrespect that has been shown to Ronaldo. And obviously you can talk to me as you might think I'm a Ronaldo fan. I am a Ronaldo fan. I have been a Real Madrid fan. I have been following Ronaldo since 2008 when I was seven years old. And I I have been living what Ronaldo is doing right now. I'm a, I'm a Ronaldo fanboy. I, I, saw I saw myself in Alejandro Garnacho when he celebrated with Ronaldo. I see myself in Federico Chiesa when he celebrated in Ronaldo, with Ronaldo at Juventus. I am a huge Ronaldo fan. I, I don't care much about Manchester United. I see that club as any other club which I analyse into. Uh, if, if, you, if you would know, if you're listening to the podcast from, say, the day one of, uh, when, when I made the transfer news of uh, David Alaba, you would realise that I am a big Real Madrid fan. And that club, I, I have my emotions attached to that club. And some of it also is because of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I am disturbed because what has happened with Ronaldo is, is not ideal. I think some of the things that have been stated... See, personally, if you would ask me, then all the clips that have been released, out of all the clips, I just think that one clip that really uh, thinks Ronaldo was a bit wrong, I won't say completely wrong because I think the choice of words... Could have been better. The other clips, I have completely no problem with it. I know the timing of that was wrong. But then, if you don't put that interview now, and say, for instance, he leaves the club in January, and he's got no ties attached to Manchester United, and then it kind of it, it is a white noise because it's coming from the outside. The thing is that he has been there with Alex Ferguson and without Alex Ferguson. I, I don't think you can actually talk uh, to a person that has experienced both. I mean, there is no one, apart from certain coaching staffs, maybe Michael Carrick as well, who was the manager last season for an interim period and also worked with Oligana Solskjaer. He was also a player who used to play under Sir Alex Ferguson. So maybe him and maybe Ole himself as well. And then probably it, it, it is Ronaldo. I, I have got no problems with all the things that he said. The thing that has bugged me is the lack of respect that he has for Rick Den Haag. And I think with the stature that he, that, that he is, that the, the, the guy that he is himself... He would think that he deserves some respect. I, I completely back Eric Ten Hag here. I, I won't be saying this to just appease Ronaldo fans or something like that. Or I won't really be uh, saying this that, you know what, it's Ronaldo and I'm trying to back him. No, I completely agree to what Eric Ten Hag's doing. And this is kind of sour on Cristiano Ronaldo. He might be feeling that this is wrong on me and it's completely right. I think what Ten Hag's doing is right because right now you need to stamp your authority on the on on the team. And if you look at Ronaldo's age, he's 37 years old and the circumstances which led to the season season starting were ideal for him to put a strong foot on Ronaldo's throat and then assert a 
command over the entire squad. The thing here that bugs me is that he said that he does not respect Eric Ten Hag. I think he should have made some better choices here of his words that he used. I think, you know, I don't, disagree, I don't agree with some of the things that he does with me. I think he could have been right. But the thing that he does not respect... I, 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 I told you before, he does not respect. I did the World Cup case study with Portugal and Denmark. And I said that at there itself. And that he does not respect Eric Ten Hag, and Eric Ten Hag does not respect Ronaldo. It's completely visible right now. I, it, 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 it does bug me. It does really uh, say a lot of things because um, I, I think, you know, see, I, I really think that he does make up with, with, with Eric Ten Hag. But the thing is, this is the end game now. And I think. He is not stupid. I think he knows there is a way out of Manchester United. I don't think that he'll go to MLS or any Saudi or the Middle East club or he'll go back to Sporting. I think if Sporting would have been in the Champions League, it would have been a bit easier for him to come back to Sporting. But right now, I think Sporting is really not the club to go. Maybe if he performs well. And I think if he performs well, I think there will be clubs there. Maybe Chelsea because they really need someone to score goals. Someone like a Bayern Munich because I still think Bayern Munich can be possible or it is just me creating a fantasy for him for for myself. But the thing is, again, I'm, I'm drifting away from the topic. The thing is that he does not respect Ronaldo and Ronaldo does not respect Ten Hag, and I'm completely fine with that because you the the manager had to do something because of the mediocre status of this club. And I've discussed about it because the mediocrity in that club was just taking over. I, I think it was taking over since Jose Mourinho left. And I think he's not the only one. I think if, if you look at it, the big picture, if you look at a lot of people there who have criticised Manchester United, you look at Zlatan Ibrahimovic. When he came in there, he said that the clubs look very big and ambitious and... Uh, you know, glittery from the outside, but inside it's a complete mess. You talk about Jose Mourinho, who has won a lot of things in his life, and he's not a rookie into managerial things. He said that winning, that that uh, finishing second with Manchester United was the biggest uh, height of was one of his heights of his career because of the things that were happening in the in in, in the dressing room. And I think what Ronaldo is saying is also right. The, the structural issue, there's structural issues at Manchester United. They need to be solved. There is a little bit of mediocrity that's reaped into players and the manager. And the thing is that these, this club is run by bankers and not football people. Unless you bring football people in, in, in a club, you're not going to see progress. I mean, if you look at it, then I think, I personally think that in terms of squads, in terms of the the things that are happening right now in the Premier League. Liverpool will finish top four. Arsenal will finish top four. Manchester City will finish top four. I've got more confidence in Liverpool putting a run together than I have in Manchester United. I think they have put some results together. I think they kick on from that because there are a lot of uh, players who will be staying back at Anfield or will be going to the new uh, training ground and will be having some rest there. The thing is, right now, with with Manchester United, you're, you're really uh, finding yourself in a place where you're in a race with 
Tottenham, Chelsea, Newcastle United. At best, I think they will also be challenging for a top four spot. But I just think what Ronaldo said in this interview, I think I, I agree with 80% of the things that he said. I think the love for United, he said that. He loves the fans. He loves the club. Not the people who run the club. Yeah, he loves the club because of the history, because of his own history at the club. He loves the club. I, 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 won't, I won't disagree to that. He loves the fans. He said that. There are some disagreements with the, the players, and I think yes. And mostly because of the British media, they are more... Uh, the more reliable sources in the dressing room are Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, and I think they sometimes try to defend them as well. These are the only persons who have been criticising Ronaldo. I think, yes, it's time to move on from Ronaldo, yes, but you can't really keep a blind eye, or you can put a blind eye on what he said, because what he said, are, it, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong what he said. So I would say that this needs a close, close inspection. The one thing, again, something that has really troubled me a lot. These idiots, these cronies who are sitting in the, in, in, the, um, in, in the boardroom or in the higher offices at Manchester United, they could not understand what a personal tragedy is. Cristiano Ronaldo lost a child in March and four days later he came and played the game at the Emirates Stadium against Arsenal. He scored a goal, by the way, in that game as well, if I'm not wrong. And then his three-year-old baby was in the hospital. It, she was admitted and he was supposed to take care of her because I, I'm, I'm not a parent, obviously. I am... I'm still a student, but I can understand. I mean, it's, it's a human side to it. If you can't understand this, then I, I don't know. You're just a hater. You're just a person who just hates things, just like Jamie Carragher is. And I don't want to just make it personal about him, but this, this guy always has something to say about Ronaldo, and Ronaldo's always the villain. And, and people say about the handshake and all those things. Jamie Carragher has been on it, on Sky Sports, since the last one year and talking bad about Ronaldo. He shouldn't be in the club. Why is he doing? What is he doing here? What is he here? What? It's just nonsense what he talks at sometimes. I think there's a lot of good things that you can take from Jamie Carragher. But the hate towards Ronaldo, it is real. And you can take a look at that. Um, I, I know he comes from Liverpool and stuff like that. He's not had good memories, but yes. Um, when it comes down to what the thing is with this child and this idiots they were questioning his legitimacy for the club was question were questioning his his commitment to the club they should be ashamed of themselves they should be looking in the mirror and they should be ashamed of themselves because this is just this this is just idiotic things that's that's happened i i, I completely don't agree with what 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 what's, what was going on then because if you can't have empathy for someone like that, you are not fit to be called as a person as well. Because he's you, you're trying to question his commitment to the club. Because I, I completely don't understand this. People here are trying to say that he wanted to leave United and so he didn't attend pre-season. What good does it do to Ronaldo at 37 years of age? You, do you think that he's an idiot to not attend pre-season? To be fit for the entire season because he's a World Cup as well in, in, in November? I mean, this is, just, this is just 
I don't I don't know what logic it makes because I believed in him because when he said that when the report said it's family reasons and United had to accept it. But again, if, if, if they're really uh, questioning his love for the club or his commitment to the club, when his own daughter, his three-month-old baby is in the hospital, they should be ashamed of themselves. Because the thing is, his, his family needs... I mean, there are, there are two sides of the story, obviously. There, there's the personal angle and there's the professional angle. He played after his newborn baby was, had, had passed away. And he played four days later. A Juventus, a Juventus 15 months ago when he wanted to leave. It's not all of a sudden, all of a blue. He waked up and he, he woke up and he, and, and he realized, oh my God, this club is shit. And I need to, I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this crazy little circus that is around at Juventus. It's not like that. He he wanted to go out. I mean, he he actually ditched the uh, game after I think it was Bologna and Napoli screwed up against AS Verona. I think that's that that was the exact scenario. And he didn't play that final game against Bologna. He packed his bag and he moved on for the Euros with Portugal. I think that's what happened. And. He didn't. He came back for preseason. He played the pre. He was in the preseason back then. And when it comes to Manchester United, he would have been in the preseason, obviously, because it doesn't make sense for him, does it? And don't give me that that he's not good enough. His final game in that last season was, I think, the final games were with Portugal. He played well. He finished the season very strongly. Did Ronaldo. And his final games were against Switzerland, Spain and all these guys. He played well in those games. I am pretty sure he did. And he was one of the best players around in Portugal at that time. And 50 days later, he's completely being useless. I don't think that's the case. I think Eric Ten Hag should be given credit at what he's doing. He chose his own way, but that doesn't fit with Ronaldo. And obviously, he's going to retaliate if you don't show him the amount of respect that he deserves. Because at the end of the day, you are a newcomer in this entire club and you're treating a club legend. I, I, I think people should support Ten Hag on this. But what Ronaldo's saying is not completely wrong. I think 80% of the things that he said are true. It should be examined and that should be what they should be looking at but apart from it i just think that he's he's saying the truth obviously he's saying the truth i i don't believe in what other people are saying jamie carragher saying that rio ferdinand roy Keane, and uh, patrice Evra are gonna back him up for that i mean are you an idiot you've played the game you cannot just read one thing and say he is not respecting uh eric ten hag he said that, that Eric Ten Hag does not respect him as well. I mean, what else do you want? In, in, in an ideal world, that is how things work, isn't it? I mean, you don't respect Ronaldo and Ronaldo is not going to respect you. He's not going to shake your hand. That, that, that's how things work and that is how Ronaldo is. It's not the first time that he's done it. It's not the last time he'll do it. It's how the world is in terms of the eyes of Ronaldo. He, 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 he won't be quiet about something because he wants to make a show of things and that's what has guaranteed him success over 15 years and he's not gonna, he's not gonna fake it is he i would have had more problems with him not making this interview and saying a lot of these things I, I'm, I'm really happy that he's done this 
He's exposed the glazes. He's exposed the uh, higher guys of the club, the, the board members of Murtaugh, Fletcher, and these other cronies, for their lack of humanity towards him when, when, when his newborn baby was, uh, was, was hospitalized. I think there is no excuses there. They, they should be ashamed of themselves with that. And the other things with Eric Tenag, I completely agree. I'm saying this to you. I have no problems with him, uh, Eric, with Eric Tenag disrespecting him. But then you need to know what would be the consequences. It's not like Eric Tenag knew that he's he's gonna do it. Obviously, the Ralph Rangnick thing, I, I, I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit harsh on him. I, I just don't know what Ralph. I mean, and Rooney again. Rooney, he had it coming. I mean, he had it coming since 2006. Let's be honest about it. He had it coming since the last 16 years. I mean, we always know that Rooney and Ronaldo didn't really work together. I mean, they were not really friends. I mean, they were good teammates, but they didn't hang out that much. Ronaldo hasn't been that much of a friend to many people. I think you can talk about Marcelo being one who was very, very close to Ronaldo. Apart from Marcelo, I don't think he had much of a personal relationship with any player. I think as a teammate, he's had many good teammates like Benzema, like Modric, like Kroos. And I think if you are looking at it with a neutral perspective, you would say that the club needs to back the manager. And I think the same way, the club needs to back Eric Ten Hag and they shouldn't be uh, going anywhere else. But I think, again, Eric Ten Hag now is walking on a thin ice because he's just respected the legend. And if he screws things over, it's, it's going to be the end of him. Because you can't stare the club. And again, I, I do believe that Sir Alex Ferguson knew, knows about what he's going to speak. And he's got an approval for him from him because he's been in contact with Sir Alex. Things are heated over here. Things are really heated at Old Trafford. I haven't seen the entire interview. It's going to be releasing on Wednesday or Thursday. It's a 90-minute interview. And it's... Well, we're... This is going to be the exciting 90 minutes that I'm ever going to see this uh, in, in my entire life. Again, I'm a big Ronaldo fan and I'm not going to lie to you, but this hurts. This this really hurts. And I said in my podcast as well with Arjadina that, you know, in the end, the present moment, he needs the World Cup. He, again, he'll show up. I, I, I don't think uh, there is any doubt about that. He will show up. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. But is he in a better physical shape? I don't think so. Will he be? All right. I, there is a rumor that has come out from Sky Sports again that they that that the manager said that he is going to not include him in the starting event for Fulham. He said that to Ronaldo on Thursday, and uh, well, it didn't fit well with him. They uh, he said that he does not want to play after that and. He left for, he's apparently leaving for Portugal already, as probably everyone are. And so I think that's, that's it. I, I really think that this is not the ending that everyone deserved. I think he's a club legend. And no matter what everyone, what everyone would think, he's a club legend. He's, he's won many things. I mean, he's done most things that anyone in that United squad would have dreamed of. And again, it's... It's it's bad. It's bad. It's bad for the image. It's bad for everything. It's bad for the legacy. But I think this these things had to come out, and it's better that it came out. I'm happy that Ronaldo speak spoke about it because that means that he's staying true to himself. And for that, I I really applaud him and appreciate him. 
just some way, I think the choice of words could have been better. And apart from that, I just think that he's, he's, he's said all the right things. That's it. So that's it from me today. Uh, be sure to check into my other podcasts, uh, the other case studies. We've done uh, five episodes before that, before this episode as well. And uh, keep showing your love and keep showing your faith in me. And if you have got any doubts, any queries, or if you want to interact with me, be sure to go to my Twitter handle. It's weeklypod.ott. I'm sorry, it's weeklypod underscore ott on Twitter and it's weeklypod.ott on uh, uh, on Instagram. It's W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D dot O-T-T on Instagram and it's W-E-E-K-L-Y-P-O-D underscore O-T-T on, uh, on Twitter. So be safe. Be sure to check into my next podcast where I'll be covering the Netherlands and also the English national side. Uh, some of the games, some of the warm-up games might just be done before that and we'll see what happens. But for now... I think, uh, yes, it's goodbye from me. This was a host of Mayuresh Matka. Cheerio. Ciao.